0: Hello and welcome to the Short Story Workshop. In each episode, we read a short story and then discuss it. I'm Mel, I'm here with Matt and Simone, and today we're going to talk about our competition winner! Um, so, that's really exciting. Yep, also Happy New Year. Um, So, we would like to thank you for all the entries we got to our competition. Um, we read them all over the last few weeks, and we've had a good time. And we finally came up with our winner. So very well done to Josephine Lenski. So here is Kill the King by Josephine Lenski.
1: I cut myself off mid-sentence as the fierce burning sensation tore across my inside left wrist. I grimaced and wrapped my hand around the skin, forcing back a yell. Are you okay? The woman whom I've been talking with exclaimed. Her soft brown eyes widened underneath her bangs. I'm alright, really. It just get bad cramps sometimes, that's all. A red-hot iron seemed to be digging its way into my flesh. Tears danced in my eyes, but all I could think was, not again. And she had been so lovely, too. I'm really sorry, my dear, but I have to go. Oh, well... I was already running towards the entrance. Do you at least want my phone number? I burst the door open, almost flattening an older couple behind it. I mumbled an apology to avoid suspicion and stumbled down the block, blowing gently on my wrist as the pain roared through my nerves. Eventually, I found myself almost tripping into the street, and I flung myself against the wall nearby, hugging my arm to my chest. The ending was always the worst. Ensuring that I was alone, I permitted myself a pained whimper before closing my eyes, delaying the inevitable. I did not want to read the words. I knew as soon as I did, I would be required to carry them out, whatever they were. After bracing myself, I slowly peeled my wrist away from my body. There, like a fresh brand burned into the delicate skin, of three words written in curling, elusive script. Kill the King. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Emmanuel, though as soon as I could I shortened it to Emmy. I was born in Brooklyn, and though I may have moved around several times in my life, I always ended up back at the brickfront townhomes that I loved. The messages didn't come until I was well into my twenties. I thought I had a normal life. I was just getting started at a job I really loved, still kept in contact with some of my old college buddies. Life was good until one day I woke up with pain boiling in my arm. I screamed, but no one heard me. I still remember the first words. Steal the necklace. I had no idea what it was talking about until I turned on the news that night. A rare necklace was being transported from its home country to a museum nearby. I was young. A part of me, the sane part of me, wanted to ignore the words altogether. But then I started doing research. I asked around. The necklace was going to be in a briefcase handled by a lazy security officer, and something inside of me pushed me forwards, as a dare, as a way to prove something to no one. It was easy enough. I pinpointed the guard on the street. I bumped into him, making him drop the briefcase. It was quicker than I anticipated, but the next thing I knew the guard was on his way and I had a necklace in my pocket. I placed it on my dresser, staring at it. My arm still itched under its bandages. The next morning, the necklace was gone. My arm was healed. Things continued like this. Every few months, I would receive a message, cryptic, short, and often convoluted. It hurt like hell every time. One day, I had had enough. It was only a matter of time before I got caught, so the next time it happened, I ignored it. This time, I limped back to my apartment, biting my lip as I held a hand over the fresh brand. I bandaged it delicately while I demanded my computer tell me everything it knew about kings monarchs, kingpins, Elvis. Nothing. Something bleeped on my screen. A minor king from a country in Africa was visiting town today. Not much security. Ample entrance points. One way to find out. Nothing happened. The burn was still there, the instructions still visible. But time passed, and nothing happened. I went about my life. One day I was at a bookstore, browsing, when a woman walked by. Why are you wearing a long sleeve shirt? It's boiling outside. I looked up to meet an exquisite face. I looked down at my arm, the sleeve covering the burn. i forgot it was summer outside, I managed. She laughed, her curly black hair bouncing on her cheeks. She extended a beautiful hand, her dark skin seemingly glowing, and I shook it. I'm Connie, she said. And I'm sorry to say it is summer outside. The heat is unbearable. I can't wait for fall, I answered. Sweater weather, we both said at the same time. We smiled at each other. Would you like to get some coffee? I asked. Connie nodded. That sounds lovely. The meeting was being held in a nondescript building on the outskirts of town. I spotted three security guards, if that. One of them was on his phone. I slipped by them without a problem, walking into the building like I owned the place. I meandered my way through the halls before I found the office. It had glass walls, but I couldn't hear anything. Long ago, I had bought a gun, and I had it with me now. I found a quiet place with a good exit strategy, and I lined up the shot. Instantly, I knew I was wrong. Something inside me was screaming at me, and it wasn't just my conscience. I hid the gun, and ran away as fast as I could. Connie and I moved in together a few months later. We knew things were moving fast, but we wanted to take advantage of it. We had fun. We went to movies together, and came out laughing over the stupidest things. We stayed up late talking about deep shit, bearing our souls to judgement from above. It was only a matter of time before she found out why I always wore long sleeves. She peeled it away one day when I wasn't paying attention. What is this? She asked quietly, almost holding her breath. I swiftly hid it again, but the damage was done. It's a tattoo, I tried. Tattoo gone wrong. Connie shook her head. Emmy, tell me the truth. I sighed. "You, You won't believe me. She moved closer to me, curling her body next to me so she could lean her head on my shoulder. Try me. I smiled at her and kissed the top of her head. I did more research. There was a leader of a gambling den in the slums who called himself a king. He drank so much that it would be easy to poison his drink. As I walked into the seedy bar, I gripped the gun that was tucked under my shirt. Insurance. I picked him out straight away. He was smoking a cigar and his blazer was a flashy, audacious orange. He smiled at me through missing teeth and offered to deal me into a poker game. I accepted, even though I had no idea how to play poker. Through the night, his glass kept getting closer and closer. I kept losing, and he kept laughing at me, even offered to lend me some money if it meant me staying longer. At last he released a bellowing laugh, and left his drink unintended, if for a moment. As I reached towards it, something screamed at me again. I had the wrong man. I stood up suddenly. I paid my debt in full, not wanting a bunch of cronies on my back, kicking me for money. I heard him complain as I walked out the door. One day, Connie and I took a drive west to meet her relatives. She wanted to get their blessing so we could get engaged. Married. Married. The word gave me goosebumps, but in the best way possible. I kissed her once before hitting the road, heading for the George Washington Bridge. We were halfway across when a semi changed lanes too quickly. We were the first ones it hit. I remember nothing more than a faint humming in my ears as I looked around in a haze of red. The car around me was gone. I didn't know where it had disappeared to. The front frame had just vanished. Connie was slumped over in the passenger seat, blood beginning to pool underneath her. I tried to reach out to her, but my arms started burning. I hissed, thinking the wreck had hurt my arm, and then I recognised the feeling. I started to cry as it finished its job, the old words that had been there now gone, replaced with a fresh engraving. Don't dismiss us. I walked aimlessly down the street, tracing the words in my arm, my mind racing. I had no idea what it could mean, and I was running out of time. I couldn't ignore them. Never again. I turned down a road I had never been down before, and suddenly a homeless man walked directly into my path. Any change, sir, for an old monarch? He had a grey beard reaching well past his chest, and he was singing. On top of his balding head was a paper crown, the kind they gave out at Burger King. I promise you will become one of my favourite subjects, the old man promised. The part of me that was screaming was silent. This was my mark. How could this be my mark? He was old, frail and senile. He wasn't hurting anybody. For the first time in a long while, I questioned the morality of everything. The unfairness of what I had been given. But I had been in the hell of ignoring it. I knew what would come if I rebelled. I was only one man and I deserved some peace. I gestured down an alley, and the old man followed.
0: So, we picked this story out as the winner of our competition. What did we think made this story stand out from all the others? I can go first, if you'd like. I, what I thought made this story stand out was the central concept. It was clear, strong, Um, It had some good action to it, so the main character does a lot of things, which sounds basic, but a lot of stories tend to be reflective rather than active, and I think sometimes action can get things across in a more compelling way. Um, I was also intrigued by it. I think it built some good suspense, and it was good at the way it used dialogue and scene breaks to keep the action moving, so those were the things that I really liked about it.
2: Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh yeah, basically I thought the hook or the premise of instructions written on the character's arm was excellent. Like I read it and I immediately got like genuinely excited to kind of read more about what had happened and how it was all going to play out. I just absolutely loved it as a concept. I thought it was brilliant and it was also something I hadn't actually seen before, which I also really appreciated. Along with everything you said, of course, about like the keeping up the tension of the story and giving it a clear kind of central conflict and direction.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Um, I liked the idea. Cool themes in there, predestination, but it's not called out. It, it, it lurks a little. And I like the ending very well balanced. It's an ending, it's definitely an ending, but it leaves enough open to keep you thinking about the story.
2: Hmm. Josephine um, was very good at giving information at a good time as you go through the story so you've always got questions but you're never overloaded with questions and no answers like you get more information as you go along kind of as you need it
0: yeah i agree with that i will say on the idea that it reminded me of something that's been around in fan fiction for a while which is the idea that you'll have your soulmate's name written on your skin but i liked that this felt like a dark version of that trope I don't know if either of you have come across that one before.
2: Yeah, I'd heard of it, but I didn't make the connection until you just said it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd I'd read a couple of fix with it and and yeah, I like this version which is a little bit more well, it's not that the other version is uninteresting, but I like that this is a dark take on it because there's something so like horrifying about having something literally written on you that you can't get rid of. I yes. think that this this story plays up on the horror of that idea really mm. well.
2: Yeah, like the descriptions of pain were really visceral. But then even though it's never stated, like what if they get caught with that on their arm or what if it doesn't disappear after everything goes wrong? Say so they do kill the king and suddenly they're caught with kill the king on their arm. Like how do you even get out of that situation? So many ways it could have gone and could go wrong.
0: Yeah, definitely. I guess in summary, thank you, Josephine. We really enjoyed your story. <laughs> okay, should we talk a little bit like... About the first time we read the story and the way the author kept the tension going throughout the story, because this is something that it achieved really well.
1: I think it is because of what Simone was saying that at each point in every scene break, there's a question that you want to know the answer to, but you're not given the answer straight away. We do something else first that builds more background and it's kind of weaving that information in and keeps you wondering what's going to happen next. And also because it's so pacey like it moves really fast, so it's not long before you get to the next break, and then you'll you're put into this new situation and it it just keeps it all moving really quickly
2: yeah I, um when I looked back on the word count of this story, I was really surprised because it's only what about what one thousand seven hundred like approximately, and it packs in a lot for that such such a short space of time, like the word choices I think are really well done in that they show. Quite a lot of the character and the emotions and the feelings without necessarily over explaining them or anything. Like it keeps it very tight.
0: I think it's one way you can easily read between the lines. Like there's enough there that you can form a picture in your mind. Yeah, for me, I think the short scenes were the key to keeping me going through this story because there's not really a moment to sink into any pondering. Although there is a little bit of a break when, when the character meets Connie. You're soon back to the main. What am I going to do about this writing on my arm?
2: Mm. And even with the backstory of Connie, it kind of adds to the horror once that thread kind of completes with the consequences of like ignoring the words. Because obviously, if you're in that situation, obviously the first thing you think of, well, I don't have to do it, do I? But then once you find out the consequences of not doing that, kind of before the climax, you start worrying more and more that they're not finding the person or the king that they're supposed to kill. Because then, okay, if they don't, what's going to happen to them? It slots in very well of, like, to add more tension. Yeah.
0: By introducing Connie, the stakes are kind of bit up, because now the character has something to lose. Well, something more than their life, I suppose.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: But, I mean, I guess earlier in the story, it doesn't really feel like their life's at stake. It's more like they might end up in prison or something, because they're just... Mm. I think the first thing is to steal something.
2: Steal the necklace.
0: Yeah. It's like killing is kind of the ultimate ask. mm and it builds to that point.
2: I think the other good part of the subplot with Connie is the kind of romantic tension. Both will they won't they get together, but also okay, what happens when Connie sees what's on her arm? And I think uh, Josephine is very good at cutting away as well um, in certain scenes. So, for example, she doesn't stop to tell us how that entire conversation goes after "Try Me." She kind of lets us figure it out for ourselves based on what happens and the sense of the relationship yeah
1: and i think that's one of the biggest things that made this stand out to me is that the amount of trust placed in the reader Mm. because a lot of stories that we looked at not all of them but a significant number of them seemed like they felt the need to explain and and sometimes it's too much sometimes it's you just gotta let the reader meet you halfway and i think that's something the story did really well
0: this story is shorter than a lot we read. How can concision improve a story's effectiveness?
1: Uh, well, brevity is the soul of wit, as we he's, all know, Shakespeare.
0: Okay. <laughs> I, sh- I, should know, I should know where that's from. It's from AO3 that I know it from. <laughs> I think it's the error message that comes up if you don't fill one of the fields in for your
2: story. Oh, is it? It is. It's if you don't put in the story text. Oh, right.
1: <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> but, you know, when, when you're short, story short, you you get to the point, you do what you're trying to do and then you get out. That's like a short story in a nutshell. Mm. You don't want to tell the whole of the story because then it's usually not a short story, if you know what I mean. like You need to leave that blank space at the beginning and the end so that there's there's some space for the reader to fill it in.
2: I think if you're all selective in your um, conciseness as well, that you can also fill in a lot through being concise and The more words you add, the more possibility you also add for questions. Like the more you world build, for example, the more people can have questions about your world building. And obviously there are so many questions raised by this story, such as who's putting the marks on Emmy's hand? Like, how are they doing that? But because the story doesn't particularly acknowledge it as important and the story isn't about Emmy trying to find out who's doing that or hunting them down, It kind of lets the reader not focus on that either or get too sidetracked by that. Well, if we had like a paragraph of of Emmy wondering, oh, I wonder who's doing this to me, and then it's not answered, it would be more frustrating, I think, for the reader. In that sense, the concision also works really effectively in keeping the reader engaged and focused on what the writer wants and focused on.
0: Yeah, it's very immediate, this story. It's not really concerned with the whys and hows just the consequences
2: yeah i quite like that though
1: i think it mirrors the character's situation like she doesn't know why or how or he he doesn't know yeah why or how anything is happening um in the story so conveying that sense to the reader as well is just good storytelling you know to give them that same kind of chaotic frustration of what's what's why is this happening to me right
0: Hmm. I think it's very true to life as well. There are lots of things that happen and we don't know why. Yeah. Sometimes we have to make decisions that are bad, but we need to make them.
1: And that's the core idea this story is, is playing with, right? That some things just are a certain way and there's no real explanation for it. And sometimes it just seems unfair. Mm. which is a a very real message in what appears to be quite a supernatural kind of story.
2: Yeah, I like that the king wasn't who we expected it to be. Like, it wasn't the visiting monarch, for example. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think adding just that sense of, like, apparent purposelessness at the end just made the whole thing scarier, because it's just so hard to understand, right?
2: Yeah. Like, the necklace you can understand, but this. Yeah. I liked the detail about the Burger King crown. I thought that was good. I did like the juxtaposition of the fantasy with the very ordinary details.
0: Okay, so the one thing I think we all agree on about the story is that the central concept, I think we all like that concept and it's a strong concept. Do either of you have any thoughts on how to come up with a kind of simple concept that you can then explore in this kind of story?
2: God, I wish I knew how. (laughs) Like, please God, if anyone has the answer to that question, tell me.
1: It's a question of idea generation, I suppose, which um, I don't know. I've always thought out of the three of us, you were the best at this, Mel.
0: Well, I I had some thoughts on this. So I thought you need a premise that's easy to communicate so you can give the concept of your story in a sentence or two sentences, like in as few words as you can. The other thing I thought might be helpful was to think about elevator pitches, which is something that comes up in every single pitching material or session that I go to, which is the idea that if you are sat in front of an agent, you need to be able to sell them your work in a sentence or two sentences or the time it takes for you to step in an elevator, ride up a couple of floors with them and then get out again.
2: Hence, elevator pitch.
0: Yeah. The idea is then that you sell the concept very quickly and some ways you can do that are to reference other sources. So for this one, for example, I can see that the idea kind of came from, I think, a fanfic premise. I might be wrong about that though. I have no idea where Josephine got the idea, but that's kind of where I saw. But she might have got it from a book or a film or something, something like that, and then develop it, because I think with ideas, even if you don't know you're borrowing them, you are borrowing them from somewhere. And it can be helpful to identify where they've come from. Um, and
2: it's not necessarily a bad thing to borrow, by the way, because I know there is a lot of uncertainty around that.
0: Yeah, there is. It's just is. kind
2: of what you do with it once you've borrowed. If there's enough of it in you, in the story that's original.
0: It's still going to be original because it's written by you, even if it's a concept that's been done a thousand times, like sentient computers or something. <laughs> I mean I had a teacher who was just like steal everything always steal when you write I don't know about stealing everything but I think purposeful stealing when you're coming up with these central ideas can be really helpful and not only that there's also a base for you to work on if you've if you've got a similar work you can you can see how they did it and be like well I hate it I'm gonna do it better
1: I mean, pretty much all art is in some way derivative. There's no escaping that.
2: Yeah.
1: Like you'll do it without realizing.
2: He would argue that all ideas are derivative.
1: It's all just maths at the end <laughs> of the day that this reminded me of a conversation. We had a um, bit of a digression. It reminded me of a conversation we had about Spider-Man. He said, why the heck is Spider-Man so successful? <laughs> I really do think it's just because he's easy to understand. He just does spider things. You can explain it in a sentence. And, his, and yet
0: his origin story as well. He's bitten by a spider. How how simple is that?
1: Yeah, it's very simple. And yet there are so many different things you can pull out of that. Like, oh, he has his spider sense instincts. He swings on webs. He like traps people in them. Like it just keeps going on and on all the different things that you can do, even though it's just so simply explained.
0: Yeah. I think that's really relevant to this as well. The other thing I'd like to add, I suppose, is kind of touching on an art book. I had this book called The Manga Matrix, which was about designing manga characters. And the idea of it was that you would take traits from other characters you liked and mash them up together to make a new one. And I think that was a really interesting idea to apply to both art and storytelling. And it can help you with the idea generation.
2: As with anything in writing, it's not hard and fast rules. Like, as Mal has clearly outlined, there are benefits to being able to elevate a picture work. But that doesn't mean just because you can't that your story is less good. Like some stories are inevitably going to be more complicated. Um, It's just kind of, is that then going to fit well into a short story? Or are you looking at a larger novel? And it's kind of going into discussions with your ideas on what that actually would look like to do best justice.
1: Yeah, I think the. This story is just one kind that has a really strong concept. Mm. Not every story has that. Like a lot of them are a lot more difficult to pin down exactly what they are, but it doesn't make them any less interesting. Yeah, just a different kind of thing.
0: Agreed. This is the kind of story that I really like. But I'd say, like, what even would the elevator pictures be for some of the stories we've looked at on this podcast? I mean.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> I was thinking about um, The Garden Party by Catherine Mansfield, one of my favourite stories, but it's just like people existing. Like, there's no particularly strong concept there. It's just like, oh, people go to a party and then someone dies.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of the Kate Chopin story about the affair. I was like, I don't know how I'd elevate a pitch that.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that that one's interesting because the setup is quite standard. It's like almost a standard like romance plot mm. but it's just like pretty well written is the thing
2: mm.
0: so yeah like anything they're a tool that elevate pictures are a tool so they might be helpful to yeah. you or they might not
2: and even if you ultimately can't elevate a picture work it's useful to try because it makes you think about what the core point of your story is and what or what you what is the bit of your story that you can't take out that will become useful to you when you're editing as well
0: Yeah, I had an exercise in a class where I had to explain my story in a paragraph, then explain it in three sentences, and then explain it in a sentence. So if you do it step by step, that might help you as well.
1: I need to apply some of this to the story that I've just written, which is 5,400 words long and I still don't know what it is about.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it will reveal what it's about.
1: I I keep every time I look at it, I get a different answer is my problem.
0: (laughs) Okay, so did we want to talk about the ending at all?
1: Uh I mean I, I said earlier I like that it's it's open. The the last paragraph also adds a lot to the story because it just sums up to the like general unfairness and illogicalness illogicalness, whatever of what's <laughs> happening. Yep. Um and I like that it's open and it's ambiguous and we don't know what exactly happened. We can guess maybe that this murder occurred or maybe it didn't.
0: I guess you you have to decide.
1: Yeah, and also, we don't know if that's the end of it. Like, any number of things could have happened afterwards. But I, th- that's kind of almost not the point, and this story is, is self aware enough to know that. It's not the point, isn't what happens next. It's the fact that the person has been put in this situation in the first place that is the meaningful part of the story.
2: Mm, it's the uh, acceptance of it, of the course of the story, and kind of the internal decision yeah. they make.
0: I always wondered if it would escalate. So they wouldn't be free. They'd then have to kill like two people, then three people, then four people.
1: I mean, at what point do you say enough is enough?
0: Mm. That's an interesting thought.
1: That's, that's a whole different story right there.
0: Yeah. Again, I, I think it is relatable. We have, we have to make choices we don't want to make. And sometimes for your own happiness, you have to make difficult choices. Okay. Would uh, would either of you like to add
2: anything else? Just said it was a really great story. Thanks. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I was just going to say thanks to everyone who submitted. It was actually like a pretty tough call at the end. We had a lot that were good.
2: Yeah, we had a hefty short list to argue over.
0: Well done to our runners-up. Peter Hankins with Garlandios, Blue Window of Treachery, and Dan Micklethwaite with Ivory Towers. Thank you for listening. Please leave a comment on our website, www.shortstoryworkshop.com, to let us know what you thought. You can also find all our previous short stories and episodes. We'll be back with another story next week. Goodbye.